Oh. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Jake Kern. I'd like to welcome you to the Black Ink Podcast. This is episode 100. And I thought for episode 100, it's such a fitting episode to do a little bit of reflection, to look back and see exactly what this podcast is all about, what Black Ink is all about, and to give you a little bit of transparency about what's been going on these past like two years it's been now. So I thought what better way to prepare for this podcast than to listen to the first podcast and see exactly where it all started. Now, the first podcast was basically what I'm doing right now. It was a reflection podcast. I explained everything that had been happening up until that point so that I actually had something to build off of. Like episode two, I'd be building off number one and three off number two. If I just started, you know, spitting ideas and I want to make this, I want to create that, it wouldn't really be meaningful, it wouldn't be contextual. So what I did is I explained exactly where Black Ink came from and explain what I was trying to do with it and my direction and kind of my vision, my, my passion for it. And, you know, one of two things happened when I listened back to this podcast this morning. I realized just how far I've come from that, that point. And the second thing I realized is just how much, like, I don't know, I guess I'm happy. You know, when I say how far I've come, it's not that like how, how many things I've done, it's how much I've progressed and how much I've learned. It was really interesting listening to that podcast, listening to yourself from that was a year and four months or a year and three months ago, listening to the perspective that I had and the values that I was portraying in what I was saying and the kind of direction and the, the, the vision that I had for the future and exactly how that panned out. And it's really exciting to be able to actually have this obvious, um, you know, 45 minute installments, kind of weekly-ish, you know, if you do the maths, it, it doesn't work out like that. But I've got all these installments of all these things for Black Ink as they were happening. And now I've got the opportunity to share with you exactly everything that's happened. So let's jump right into it. Now, I'm just going to cover real quick, if you're an avid watcher of the podcast, so if you're watching this on YouTube right now, you may notice that this, the background has changed. I'm not going to get into it. I moved the camera. I'm at my desk now rather than at the bar. Why did I do this? So I could be more comfortable and I had an easier time uh, telling you everything that I want to tell you. I'm not worried about sitting up straight and making sure that I'm not slumping or doing these ones and that. To be honest with you, I just wanted to be comfortable. This is where I spend eight, nine, 10 hours a day. So I thought, why not bring the camera to me so that I can just relax and tell you what I want to tell you. So with that out of the way, let us begin. You probably don't you probably do, actually, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably do know, but I'm going to start right from the start. Black Ink started... No, let's go further back from that, actually. You know, Black Ink really started with an entrepreneurial spirit being found deep within myself and slowly starting to blossom as I found myself kind of negotiating interesting and different transactions throughout my early and late teenage years. Now, this actually started as... I would say this started when I first had a yearning to get a job when I was like 12 years old. And I remember mum saying and dad saying, I was mainly, mainly mum saying like, you know, you're not going to get a job at 12 years old, you know, be serious. And, you know, I, I, I don't know what came first, actually, stealing cigarettes and selling them at school or, and I mean, that was, that was small time. It wasn't like that was a proper operation. That was like here and there. And even then it wasn't like, I couldn't tell you who I sold them to or how much I sold them for point being was there was stuff happening. There were things ticking over. How can I do this for that? How can I monetize this situation? When I was 13, I got my first job as a stable hand and I would work Saturday night, Sunday morning and Sunday night, four hour shifts, 
12 hours a weekend, $10 an hour. I'd make myself a crisp $120. Most of the time it was in cash. Some of the time it was a check, which now I look back on it, what the fuck? But I made money. I made money. And there's a few things that I took really seriously, getting to work on time, getting the job done. And even though I was a small, fat little 13-year-old doing things that you didn't want to do, right? Because weirdly, my generation and every generation following my generation has this absurd thought that everything is like owed to them for some reason. And as much as like these generations push back on that idea, they don't realize that it's embedded in their foundational like thoughts. So much so that even them saying like, that's not the case, it's like, Someone who feels like they deserve everything would say that. If you really don't feel like you deserve it, then you wouldn't be defending the fact that you're not. You, you Anyway, it's not what I'm here to talk about. I quickly turn that $120 a week, and I believe I worked there for a good, like, at least year, two years. Ask my mum if you want the fucking specifics. I worked there for a good, you know, two, three years, and I really... I wouldn't say I, the, the main thing that I took from that is I realized that like I am in control of my ability to make money. And I remember there was a Jalorup Markets and I would frequent the Jalorup Markets anyway. So the Jalorup Markets, Jalorup is where I grew up. Um, it's a little uh, suburb just south of Bunbury, with the slightly larger blocks, more of a bush feel. Jalorup had its markets once a month on the first Sunday of every month. They still do. You can go down there and check them out. And there'd be people there that I would always go and have a chat to you. I remember the lady who would sell the fruit from Donnybrook, I believe she still goes there. And we're talking like 20 years ago, you know. I would go and have chats with her. Um, the ladies who ran it, uh, part of the Strong Angels, they would actually <clears throat> get toys donated to them and then sell them at the markets and then take the money that they made from these donations and take it to less privileged uh, communities in Indonesia and help them. That's why they were called the Strong, Ang Strong Angels. They would do this trip backwards and forwards um, several times a year, helping out building, you know, bits and pieces in these communities and donating money where it was best spent. So after a little while, I realized that I could deliver the coffee that was made inside to the storeholders outside. It wasn't necessarily for money, but it was a transaction. It was if I, you know, because I used to have my rollerblades on because I'd skate all the time. Side note, I used to skate Every, every second that I wasn't doing something for my life, I was skating. I was at the rink, at a general session. I was training, trying to be the world's best speed skater, artistic skater, whatever you want. So I was always on skates anyway. I would skate to the Jalorup Markers, which was like two kilometers away. I would then skate the whole time I was there. I might do some walking around. Then I would skate home and that'd be a great Sunday morning for me. So while I was there, I realized that I could deliver a coffee on my skates, say from the cafeteria inside to the lady with the fruit and she might give me some fruit for free. I can then go and, oh, yep, you're getting a scone and this and that. Yeah, sweet, I'll bring it to your table or maybe the, the sorry, your, your stall outside or maybe the ladies inside would go, oh, I'm sure Jake will deliver that on his skates. I would come back in and sure enough, I'd go and deliver it. I remember one day it occurred to me, why don't I have a stall here? What would I sell? I thought about it. Well, there's everything here. They've already got coffee. They've already got scones. They've already got fruit. And they've already got toys. So what can I do? And at the time, I had this infatuation with, uh, what do you call them, like, um, what are they called, like, appliances. I used to love buying appliances. And I know it sounds crazy, but, like, I'd, I'd have the, like, old, old school vintage looking popcorn machine. And I had, uh, my mum would, that's the one that comes to mind. But I had all these different appliances. I remember, like, as soon as I bought one, I was like, right, what's the next appliance I could buy and the next appliance? And I realized I had these appliances at home and I could use them 
to you know process food whether it's turning you know kernels of corn into you know popped corn and i could you know sell fresh popcorn to people or i could uh, had these chocolate molds at home which which meant i could melt chocolate make these molds and then sell them and i could make them like mood specific or theme specific to what's going on so if it's christmas i can sell you know rabbit shaped chocolate or whatever you want so after a short amount of time i was selling fairy floss popcorn and chocolate at my own store inside at the jalorant markets and this was my first introduction to business because that's when I started to realize like, right, you know, I'm making 20 something dollars on a Sunday morning. I've invested, you know, $80 on the appliance, maybe, you know, $10 on chocolate and $15 on mold and uh, for the mold, not mold, for the molds, the chocolate molds that you would mold the chocolate out of, you know, in X, Y, and Z. And you realize like, right, I need to make more than I spend and then I need to, need to make a way of continuously doing that. And for something that was happening once a month, it's a hard thing to do. Business is a hard thing to do. That was my first introduction to just how bloody hard this is. Now, that didn't really, I'm not gonna say that, uh, you know, sparked anything great or, you know, was the, was the uh, you know, catalyst of turning into black ink. What that was, was an introduction to transaction. And with that, I realistically never stopped buying and selling things. Now, the things that I really like, you know, if you want to skip forward to like the next kind of notable time where I was buying and selling stuff, it was when I was working on a mine site and I realized that there were blokes on this mine site that didn't understand how Gumtree worked. And they'd go like, oh, I want a canopy for my ute. And I'd be like, oh yeah, sweet. What sort of ute do you have? And they go, oh, I got this ute. Oh, sweet, write it down. And I go home and I would search all of Gumtree to find him a canopy, right? And then I'd find one and then I go, sweet, this is the one he's got a white ute. This is the ute, it's all going to match up. I'd take a picture of it, like a screenshot, and then I'd edit down the size of it and I'd send it to him saying, hey, does this canopy look? Yeah, that's exactly what I want. 500 bucks on Gumtree and I messaged him saying, sweet, it's $800. I can get it and deliver it to you for 900. Yeah, fucking oath, that's cheap. It's cheap as chips. Bloody oath. So I go around there, I pick up the canopy, I take it to his place, I drop it on the lawn, I don't even help him fucking fit it. And what do you know? He gives me a thousand bucks for going out of my way to help him out. I double my money. So I do bits and pieces. I'm pretty sure I put like three or four items on his car, like bull bar, canopy, spotlights, a whole lot. And I mean, then you start realizing like, oh, I've got mates who steal spotlights on Friday nights off people people's cars, you know, like, and they sell them for like a quarter of the price of what you buy them off Gumtree. And you'd be like, oh, cool. So I can now quadruple the amount of money that I'm going to make out of this one transaction. Not saying that I, you know, obviously everything that I say on this podcast is for entertainment value and not to be fucking taken seriously. That didn't actually happen. But if it did happen, then I would start to take, take you know, not advantage. I would, I'd take advantage of the situation and, and do exactly that. Now, just to be clear with you, that's not a bad business trait. That is just literally like, if you're in the business of making money, you make money. Now, some things go against your, your morals and your ethics and you have to make decisions in the moment around that, sure. But as far as like I'm concerned, they were already stolen, you know? I'm going to edit this out because I probably shouldn't be saying that. I'm not going to fucking edit it out. This is all real for you, right? Now, let's skip forward to I've had a few jobs. I've done a few things. I've, you know, done some traveling as well. Now I'm like early 20s and I'm just itching to do something. And I know, I know, because I've always been quite a, a listener to the older generation saying, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that, you want to try and get this done during your 20s, during your 30s, during your 40s. And I appreciated that it wasn't necessarily that I had to do something big in my 20s that was going to make me heaps of money. It was just important that I do something. 
It was just important that I make a decision and that I try something because this is the time of your life that you can that you can stuff up and you can recover and it doesn't really hurt you that much. You can make all the mistakes you want when you're in your 20s and people go, that's okay, you're in your 20s. So I bought a house, bought a business. You know, I was with my first ever girlfriend. I was having fun. It was all good. And to be honest with you, now I look back at the due diligence that I did looking up, you know, before I bought that business. And I, uh, I mean, what can I say? I was an idiot, you know? I remember like doing basic maths. I mean, like, oh, this doesn't make enough money to do what I need it to do. But, you know, I have faith in my ability to create wealth. So I'm going to go ahead and do it. I remember dad saying like, you know, have you looked at the books? Have, do you understand what's going on? I'm like, yeah, 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 of course, dude. I was 20 something, you know? Like my brain was still a very soft jelly that couldn't form full ideas. But I said, yeah, you know, why not go for it? So we got the business and the business was called Cappuccino Express. Now I'm not saying that the person who sold me a business sold me something that wasn't financially viable. What they sold me was a system that if you worked very hard and correctly, it could definitely make enough money to pay for itself and some. And that is business, okay? That is the majority of businesses you're gonna buy, especially that particular model where you are buying not a business, but a sole trader job. Now the difference between the two is, if you've got a business business and you don't go to work for a couple days and it keeps generating money, that's a business. If you've got a business, you know, where you hold the ABN and you're a sole trader and all the rest, but then you fall sick and it ceases to operate for the time that you're sick, you don't have a business. You just own the job that you have, okay? That's a very important distinction to have because a lot of people like to say that they've got a business and their business stops operating as soon as they do. Now, there's no, there's no one better than the other. I'm just saying that I would rather have a business that continues to make money without me that I can, you know, benefit off at the end of the day. Now, that particular business there, the coffee van model, unless you've got 10 of them and you're paying 10 people to run them and, you're, and all 10 of them are running really well, most likely is you've got yourself a job that you own. And that's exactly what I had. And realistically, the opinion that I have and my ability to defend it comes from the fact that I spent four years having that sort of business. I understood that there is no sick days, that there is no excuses. If you don't go to work, you don't get the money, you don't get the money, you don't live right? So I bought this business, Cappuccino Express, and I very, very quickly realized a few things. First one is a franchise is a fucking joke. Why is that? Great question. That franchise took a percentage of your sales. They only let you buy their stock. They charge you a fucking monthly fee for marketing and for developing the menus and all the rest. Like it's coffee, how much of the menu needs to be developed anyway, Uh, right? And on top of that, you're limited to what you're allowed to say and do. Now this is important because if you've got, you know, a, a business that is in the social spotlight, right? In the public spotlight. If you've got something like, I don't know how much more in the public spotlight you can be, when you're literally a service-based business that drives to the customer. Not only are you at their business displaying everything, but you're in traffic every day. You're trying to market your service so more people know about it so you can get to them. So your overall image is super important. Now, the problem is about, I mean, we're going back 
uh, six, seven, eight years ago now. So let's go back about 12 years. That's when coffee vans started becoming really fun and hot and everybody wanted to do it and everybody wanted to have their coffee van. Everybody wanted to have a little story about the person who makes their coffee. I don't know why this was the case. It just became something that was very fashionable. And I very quickly realized that I had a crappy colored ute that had the most standard name for operation as far as delivering coffee is concerned. Cappuccino Express. Dude. That's like asking a room full of like year sevens, like, oh, if I had a coffee van, what would you call it? That'd be the best name they would come up with. I thought to myself, how do I get out of this situation? Because I'm being done over. And dude, this is a thing. Like, as I said, this is all for entertainment purposes. I don't actually have anything against Cappuccino Express, you know, but I will say this. I learned that they were overcharging me on the coffee, on the cups, on the transport, on everything. Right, and then on top of that, they want me to declare how much money I'm making off this overcharged, off these overcharged uh, assets, not assets. Uh, what do you call them? Resources, and then taking their percentage of that as well. I mean, it. This is a the thing. They know if you buy five kilos worth of beans that you've made a roughly this amount of coffees, which means you're making this roughly amount, roughly this amount of money, which means you owe us roughly this amount. So. Then you start getting into the thing of like, oh, do I buy some beans over here and sell them so they don't know? And X, Y, and Z got too hard. I realized that I needed to go independent. And the lucky thing about this whole situation is a clause of buying that business meant that I didn't take on the three or four year term that the pre that I didn't start a brand new three or four year term. I think it's a four year term with the franchise. I actually just got to complete the final year of the term that was outstanding with the previous owner. So basically, she had done three years, there was a year left, so I bought it with the understanding that I only have that year. Which meant one thing, I had a year to figure out that I was being stung, I also had a year to figure out what I was gonna do. And come D-Day, I got rid of them. I don't think I even informed them, I just didn't, you know, they sent me the stuff saying like, hey, you ready to sign your next four year contract? I just ghosted them and to this day, I haven't heard anything. So. I mean, fingers crossed, it's just all good, I guess. Anyway, so I thought to myself, what do I name this business? What do I call it that has, I don't know, maybe a little bit to do with coffee, maybe nothing to do with coffee? Maybe we just call it something so that it has no clear definition as to what it is, what it's meant to be, what it delivers, who its audience is, nothing. And that way we have complete freedom to do whatever we want, right? Right. So I sat down one night with a group of friends around a, around a dinner table and I think... You know, like they're all, they're all a bit creative, these people. I think everyone was kind of doing their own thing. You know, it wasn't like we're all focused around what I was doing. And I remember I was drawing things on a, on a piece of paper and I was using a black pen. And I just, you know, like I thought, what's actually in front of me? What's actually, stop worrying about what you think, you know, and, and worry about what's actually here. And I was like, black ink, black ink, black ink, black ink. And it made no sense. And that's what I liked about it. It was so organic. It was so real. I so didn't try to get there. It was so just like blatant. I was like, oh, that's the answer. Let's fucking do it. The next thought I had was like black ink. I mean, I know, dude, I know saying this out loud before I say it, that this is a bloody stretch, but hear me because I'm being honest when I say this. Is this going to, am I going to face some sort of racial problem in the future calling something black anything or, you know, like what, what are I meant to do here? I'll put an X instead of the A. That way it could be anything. It could be block ink, blick ink, black ink. What's the other vowels? Not important. So that also, oh, and also tying to the fact that my name has been J-X-K-E-K-X-R-R on Instagram forever. 
So I thought, well, I'm already in the Xing. At the time, there were some people, you know, the cooler people in my fucking circle of people were putting X's in their name on Instagram and they still are, but hey, so am I. So I thought, you know, the, the, the X in the A for black ink is actually kind of cool. And it was only maybe a month or two months or three months earlier that I got this tattoo on the side of my head, which is of a mandala. And I actually had that mandala. I, I remember um, my tattooist had sent me a picture and because she lived in Melbourne and I lived in Bunbury, obviously. And she came over for the Perth uh, tattoo convention where I got that tattoo and the tattoo on the back of my neck of a tiger, which is actually from the 30 Seconds to Mars album cover. Anyway, super cringe. But she sent me a picture of this mandala. She's like, what do you think of this? I was like, I love it. That picture stayed on my phone and I remember saying to my mate, like, because we were coming up with all these, like, you know, black ink was the name and we we're trying to create some sort of symbolism around coffee. And I remember just being like, all, all the coffee beans and the group handles and the coffee machine, you know, silhouette. I was like, this has all been done before. I don't like any of it. Let's just, let's stay far away from coffee. Let's just make it anything, anything. So... At the time, he was like my North Star as far as like using Illustrator and Photoshop was all concerned. And I sent him, uh, you know, the the mandala and I, I can't even tell you between there and the logo that he came up with. I just remember watching him create this logo come together. And like little did I know at the time that this logo was going to be recreated thousands of times. This logo was going to be put on t-shirts, on jumpers, on stickers. People are literally going to get this logo tattooed onto them. Like the future for this tattoo, uh, for this logo was so crazily in depth and exciting. But at that moment, I was just like watching this thing kind of come together. And like, to be very honest with you, as a side note, as a creator, as a designer myself, I don't try and connect with a logo until it's already connected with other people. Sometimes I look at things and like, you know, some things are going to slap straight away. This logo on the back of my laptop just here, that's going to be on t-shirts soon. It's going to do really well. I know that. I just have a feeling about that. You just know that, right? I was looking at this logo and I was thinking, you know, I don't know if this has what, what it takes, but this is also the first time I'd ever tried to create a logo. And to be honest with you, like, I don't know whether it's just a my generation thing or like kids of now, like everyone thinks that they can start up a, a brand and, you know, the most important thing is a logo and the name. And to be honest with you, if the product is good, you can call it like fucking... Hitler's G-string and it'll work, you know? Hitler's G-string will work as a brand of anything if the product is good. So realistically, the logo on that didn't matter, but I remember being like watching this thing come together on his computer and just being like, fuck, this is amazing. Like it's got my mandala in it, but it's not obviously me trying to flex on everyone. It's just a cool thing that looks good. And if you look, if you squint your eyes and kind of look at the, at like you can see behind me here, just there, that structure of that logo, how it does that, is very similar to the bar and shield logo of Harley Davidson, which is a logo that I have obsessed over my whole life because I've grown up around Harleys. So whether there was, and I didn't realize that until later on, whether there was some sort of subconscious agreement where I'm like, this works, this looks good, it's got the mandala in it, fucking go for it, We're home run, home run, you know? Regardless, I left that night with a name and a logo. How exciting. We got the van... We ripped all the, we didn't even rip all the um, paint off. We just put a wrap over the top of it. I got the back, I got the Boston body spray painted gloss black. And then the rest of the van, like all the doors of the Boston body, the cab of the ute itself. 
I got all of that wrapped in matte black. And then I had white vinyl put over the top of that matte black with all my sign writing. So blackink.com down the bottom of the door, which side note, I didn't even have a website. I just put blackink.com down the bottom of the car because I wanted it to look cool, right? I then put my logo on the bonnet. I put logos on the side of the ute. I put, you know, coffee, munchies, my contact number, the Facebook, the Instagram page, and voila. I've got a new coffee van and it's called Black Ink. I go down to the local coffee people, to the coffee shop, and I say, not the coffee shop where you buy cups of coffee, the coffee shop where you buy coffee machines and, and coffee beans. And I said, look, I think I already had this established, actually. I said, look, I'm going to, and like, this is a regular thing, just so you know, for coffee vans and, and for cafes and stuff. You never own your machine. You can own your machine, but most of the time, what will happen is uh, a business or a company will say, like even Coca-Cola offered this to me. They come along and say, look, if you buy five kilos of beans a week off us, for a, a term of you know like 12 months or 24 months, we're happy to give you a machine, do all the servicing, do all the upkeep, make sure it all operates properly. If you have any problems, you call us. If the beans are off, you call us. So basically what it means is they get security that they're selling a certain amount of beans a week or a month or a year, and in return, you got security that you're gonna have a machine that works day in, day out. So I said to the guys that, I think it was, um, it was Helen Hester down at Bunbury Coffee Machines or Bunbury Coffee Services, whatever it's called, and just said, hey, this is what I wanna do. And she said, pick any machine you want, pick any bean you want, we'll even make a blend for you and call it the black ink blend, whatever you wanna do, I just wanna help you out. And that she did, that she did. She looked after me for the, for the following three years. Now, black ink turned into a little bit of a, it's hard for me to say because I was the one operating it and I never wanna say like, oh, I was hot shit, I was the fucking man, but I was, you know? People would want the black ink coffee van because it was the young guy with the long hair and tattoos who spoke to you the same way your kids talked to you, who would, who would just rock up, get the job done and get out. And if you're a cool person, I hang around for a couple minutes. In fact, I always, in my mind, I went about worrying less about making you coffee and worried more about offering you an experience of black ink and the coffee was complimentary. You were paying me $5 to arrive and I was giving you my experience and a cup of coffee that was complimentary, right? And this just, this just worked. This is something that my personality, 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 hey dude, my personality organically wrapped itself around this whole setup and I just thrived. Sure, I was still in my mid-twenties, I was still a fuckhead who didn't want to get out of bed early and sometimes I'd have to be having a shitty day and I'd take it out on the customer and I learned all those little, those little trials and tribulations of being A, someone who's growing up and B, a businessman who's learning the ropes, right? And to be honest with you, those four years, I didn't make a cent. I didn't make a cent. Any step that I went forward, I went two steps back and by the time I came forward again, there was another two steps back around the corner. It just... I mean, and when I say I didn't make any money, I made enough to live, you know, I paid my mortgage, I did this, I did that, I was having fun. But realistically, as far as business terms are concerned, it wasn't that impressive. Now, one thing that did happen is about a year in, I decided to make myself some shirts. And I just wanted to put my logo on the back of the shirt, that's it, right? So, I reached out to some people I knew, got some quotes and I made it happen. Now, one thing that did happen was, I said to um, you know, a few customers, you know, I'm getting some black ink shirts, what do you think? And they said, sorry, I shouldn't drink. Oh, why does it get you so fucking salivary? Hey, like, chill. So I remember saying I'm making these shirts and they said, okay, well, can you make a couple extra for us? Because we want some. I was like, yeah, I can. I can actually. 
And I told the next clients and they're like, oh, we want some as well. So then I started changing the story and I'd go to clients, I'd say, hey, or customers, I'd say, hey, I'm making these shirts. Did you want want me to make you one? Or what if I were to make, make them for 30 bucks or 40 bucks, did you want one? And all of a sudden I realized that I had another product in my business that I wasn't aware of. If I made these uniforms for me, they were actually apparel for other people. They were black ink merch. So now I think, okay, there's a market for this. I create pre-order forms. I actually systemize the whole thing. So I had a way of like knowing who these people were, whether they had paid their amount, whether they're male or female, whether they wanted short sleeve, long sleeve, whether they, uh, you know, all the fucking things that I came up with for that, for that first release, for that first drop. And I think I printed like 20 or 30 and they're all sold. They're all sold before or before they came out because I pre-orders. It was crazy. The first ones, all the short sleeves, I only sold to girls and all the long sleeves, I only sold to boys. And you know what's interesting about that? I was the only boy with a short sleeve of the original print shirt. I still have it. It hangs on my wall right next to me here. It's got holes and shit in it. It's a fucking 2XL because for some reason back then I thought skinny black jeans and a 2XL shirt was the way to go. And I was fucking right because it looks so cool. Dude, you see my body count? It's fucking ridiculous. I must have been right. Anyway, so... From there, I realized that there was some sort of market for the black ink apparel, for the black ink merch. So I continued. I came up with new designs. They were all always white on black and they were always simple. They were always stuff that I could execute. I got them screen printed in Perth through, uh, you know, friends of friends that turned into friends because I ended up getting so much done with them. And I found that every release I did, they would sell out. And I would buy conservative numbers just to make sure that they did sell out because I didn't ever want to be holding stock. I didn't continue to do the pre-sale thing, but what I did do is I did experiment so I can collect data and see exactly what worked well. A short sleeve black ink oversized shirts work well. And that's what I did. I think I released, I mean, off the top of my head, let's say I released 10 different designs. I branched into doing crop tops. Uh, I did some hoodies. I did some jackets. You know, I'd I did bits and pieces. I never really did anything too impressive. And in total, I maybe sold like two, 300 garments in total. And that was over the space. It wouldn't have even been that. I would say 150 garments, actually. I remember at one point, it got to the point where I remember where one morning I was walking down the main street to get a coffee and someone walked past me wearing black ink and I didn't know who it was. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, that's, that's a level. That's another level, you know? So, very cool. Very cool. I digress. I don't know what that means, but it fits. So from there, Black Ink ended up ceasing to operate. I had someone come along and to be honest with you, I was in the harsh realization that Black Ink wasn't generating enough money to continue doing it. And if I did continue doing it, it would have to be because I loved doing it because it wasn't for the money. I was essentially staying, stay, you know, standing still. For the little progress that you would make over winter because it's cold and people buy more coffee, you would slip further behind over summer because it was hot. And I didn't have the intellect to serve summer drinks in summer. I just kept trying to push winter drinks. And I mean, I'm, I'm still guilty of doing this, but with you know different things now. Sometimes you don't realize that, sure, this is what you want to do, but sometimes you have to listen to the customer. You have to listen to the market, things that you learn along the way. Now, I end up having someone come along to me and say, hey, we've got all this money. We want to buy your coffee van. We see what you're doing. We don't want to keep the name. We just want the, the van. And young me's like, are you fucking, are you serious? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got, got the cash here. And I'm like, it is the whole lot for me. They're like, yeah, fuck yeah, it's for you. So I was like, cool, take my business. I taught them how to do it. They grabbed the business, whatever they did with it from there. 
I'm not going to put on camera, but the one thing that I was left with was the name Black Ink. It's interesting. You know, I got 1,200 likes on Facebook. It's got 700 followers on Instagram. It's not awesome, but it's something. But it didn't interest me. You know, to be very, very honest, it didn't interest me. It wasn't something that I was like, oh, yes, I've got this to fall back on. Um, you know, I've got plans for this in the future. It was something that I just wanted to keep for the sake of keeping. It's like, oh, we'll just keep that in our back pocket just in case one day we need it. And there's actually, uh, there's actually a, a page out there, a, a tattoo page. It's called Black Ink. And it's got like 1.1 or 1. something million followers on Instagram. Like they're a massive page. And they hit me up and they're like, hey, can we get the domain facebook.com slash black ink? I was like, you know what? I can see you have a need for it. Well, fuck you, you know? So I kept it. I thought to myself, maybe it's better off in my hands. I might want to use it one day. So I remember I took some time off. I actually ended up selling my house around the same time as I sold my business. And I ended up living with a friend. And... I was free for a bit there. That's a really important part of the story now I think about it. I had a taste of what freedom was. Because, side note, and I want you to ask yourself this, when have you actually been free as an adult, as a money-making adult, someone who decided, I'm just going to take three weeks off and not have any plans? I'm not going to go somewhere. I'm not going to go on a holiday. I'm not going to try and get the garden done in those three weeks. I'm not going to try and finish off this bit of study. I'm just going to fucking wake up in the morning for three weeks. And if I want to go have coffee or if I want to ride my bike or if I want to go do this for the day or if I want to fuck off for three days, just truly free. And the answer is most people is never. And that's fine. Because we don't prioritize being free. We prioritize being able to afford the next model of Hilux or having the iPhone 14 Pro Max or going to fucking, you know, an inhibit event in three weeks time. That's what's important, not being free. Free's for losers, okay? But one thing I did realize is when you've actually got no debt, and that is the first part of freedom, by the way, it's having no debt. If you have no debt, then you can really make some decisions. The first one being getting some debt. The second one can be staying the fuck out of debt, right? One thing I learned when I had that money in my account and what actually happened when I paid, when I got that money, I did, I paid my business off and I paid off any debt that I had owing. So after that transaction, I owned my Harley. The house was completely paid out. Everything was hunky-dory and I had probably 10, eight grand to my name, right? So I really mean it when I say the business didn't make that much money. Like after four years of operation, I got essentially like a Harley and some cash out of it and didn't owe anyone any money, which to me was the ultimate win because you got to think I'm in my mid-20s by this point and most of my friends are just for the first time getting themselves in debt. Now, my house cost me $300,000. The houses everyone's buying now are half a million. Half a million dollars. And they're like, yeah, it's fine, but I work up north. It's like, yeah, it's fine. You're going to work up north for the rest of your fucking life. Don't you get that? Like the obligation that you made is that nothing is going to go wrong and you're going to continue to live away from your house for two thirds of every year of the rest of your life. That's fine. Because I have eight grand in the account and own my Harley. I'm free, bitch. I live at my mate's place who has an overview of the fucking ocean. Life is good. Life is great. But that ran out. 
that ran, that ran out. You know, you run out of money and you run out of like this uh, false thought that maybe one day something's just gonna happen again and you're gonna have like another $8,000 land in your lap or whatever it might be. And so I got back to work. I got back to work, you know? And, you know, I, I did some bits and pieces here and there, but what I really did was I went and got my MC license and I started driving road trains. And it killed me. It killed me. Because you're working serious hours. And yeah, you sleep in your own bed every night or every day if you're on night shift. But the reality is you're working four days, four nights, four off. The shifts are 12 hours at a time. And besides the, you know, sitting around the crib room pulling yourself for an hour a day, whether it's, you know, your, your pre-start or your lunch or your knock-off, you're spending 11 hours by yourself. And at a very primary basis, you are moving sand from one point to another. And you can decorate it however you want, but when you boil it down, when you reduce it down to its finest element, you are transporting dirt from here to there. And that's heartbreaking, especially when you just had a taste of freedom and especially when before that, you were like the culture corner, you know? Everyone was happy to see me when I rocked up, not because I was me, it was because I had caffeine, because I was their legal drug dealer, rocking up five minutes late just to keep them in anticipation. The doors would open up and the smell of caffeine would flood into their workshop and they'd walk up to me stoked to have their 15 minute break or 10 minute break from the monotonous bullshit of whatever their job is that they do every day and spend it with the tattooed guy who has artificial lawn on the inside of his coffee van for some reason, for no reason, just to have it, right? And then you get a year into driving trucks and you get two years into driving trucks and you realize like, oh, this doesn't change. Those long-term goals that you've got of impressing the fucking employees that have been here for 20 years, they don't care about you. They're just further in the depression that you're finding yourself in right now, right? And look, this whole topic, I, I talk about it like I'm walking around on, on broken eggshells. You know why? Because the reality is most people who are listening to this, most people who are in their normal everyday life are in this situation, probably not to this extent, but in some sort of relative situation to what I'm talking about. It's doing something that you don't really like doing, but you're caught in, a, in, a, in an endless stream of the snake eating its tail of going, yeah, well, I want to afford this, so I've got to keep doing my job. Yeah, well, I made this decision to get this mortgage, so I have to keep this income. Sure, I don't exactly like the people that I work with or the duties that I've got, or maybe I don't even do the thing that I got into this industry to do, but I'll get to do it maybe one day if I keep playing my cards right. That feeling was so terrifying to me because not only do I see it in people that I look up to, I see it somewhat in my parents, but I especially saw it in the people that I was working with. I could see in their eyes the young version of them that had the thoughts that I was having and it scared the fuck out of me that I was gonna end up like that. So I was in a position where I could make a good amount of money. I was in a position where I realized I can actually reduce and minimalize my outgoings by such a substantial amount that it actually made the total sum of money that I was making a year preposterous. I realized that I can save 20 grand in like fucking three months very easily. And all I had to do was stop bullshitting. All I had to do was stop buying nonsense. All it meant was that every time you go out, you don't need to have a coffee. 
You don't need to buy shit at Bunnings just because you're there. Oh yeah, I guess that'll kind of help. You don't need, like, dude, if you really need to exercise that muscle, if you really need to feel some sort of fucking buyer's reward or whatever it's called where you, you know, you get a good feeling, you get a dopamine rush from spending money, go to the salvos, go to garage sales. And you know what you do? While you're walking around the salvos, you go, I'll grab this and I'll grab that and I'll grab this and I'll grab that. And by the time you get to the counter, most of the time you've grown bored of the shit that you picked up and you put all this shit back anyway and you leave with a one $7 pair of jeans that you actually fucking need right and that's what i did i've got everything i needed from the salvos and you realize what you really need you know how you realize what you really need as when next time you say to yourself like oh i need a new pair of shoes go to the shop and just go i'm gonna go one more revolution without these shoes so let's say you go to universal store you're gonna buy yourself a new pair of size 13 vans you know big dick big shoes and you think you know what i'm just gonna wait until the next time i'm gonna eat and fair and get these these vans I'm going to see if I can last, that might be a week away or 10 days away. I'm going to see if I can last 10 days. And then you get there, you get there like two weeks later and you're like, oh fuck, it's been, it's been like two weeks since I was last here. And my, wait, what the fuck? My shoes still work. No, that can't, no, I needed new shoes two weeks ago. But if I needed new shoes two weeks ago and I didn't get them then and I'm here now wearing the same shoes and they still work, does that mean I can do it for another two weeks? Wait, wait. Does that mean I can maybe do it for like another six weeks or another six months? You know what the answer is? Fucking hell yeah, dude. I wear these shoes everywhere. Everywhere. Dude, do you understand what that means? You don't need five pairs of shoes. You don't even really need three pairs of shoes. You just need one pair of shoes. And you can wear the fuck out of them. And guess what? If you tie it into your your identity that you're the guy who wears vans everywhere, then you've got a reason to make them look even older, right? See, this is all just mind games. We're playing with ourselves now. And I realized, shit, if that's how I feel about shoes, what else am I wasting money on? And you look around and you go, oh, everything in my life has a price tag attached to it. And that's not a problem unless you're going somewhere in your life. If you're happy to look around and go like 1,000, 60, uh, 1,200, 450, 700, that's fine. But your future now involves continuing to spend these crazy, you know, big, medium, small, big, massive amounts of money just so you can uphold this thing that you're doing that only serves you. And realistically, it only serves a thought in your mind. It's not a real thing. So once I realized that, I was like, cool, I want freedom. I don't want to be held back by this idea that I need to have all this shit. I just want to fucking live. Okay? Now, one thing that I did fail to mention is in this... Dude, we're fucking 40 minutes into this podcast. I haven't even started talking about the fucking revival of Black Ink. Dude, this is crazy. Let's go, you know? <laughs> so, one... So, something that, uh, something that I failed to mention is in this time, I actually bought myself a four-wheel drive and a caravan. Not in that order. I bought the caravan while I still drove a Suzuki Swift and then bought a four-wheel drive after the fact. Now, let's talk about it. The caravan cost me 6000 No. The caravan cost me 3000 or $3,500. Old 1986 uh, Viscount Grand Tourer, single axle, 19 foot. The essentials. A bed, a fridge, a stove, a table, a couch. Bang. Good to go. Now it needed some TLC. They all do. They all do when they're 30-something years old, Right? So I bought it with the, with the understanding that I was going to learn a heap of shit because I wasn't going to pay anyone to do it. And the second thing was I needed to get a four-wheel drive. 
Now, the one thing that I did do with the four-wheel drive situation is I really took my time. I understood exactly what car I wanted. I understood why I wanted it and why those particular things were important. And then I sat back and I waited. And I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and I kept on waiting. And you know what happened? The perfect one came up for $9,000, an ex-government ranger, and I paid cash for it. I was starting to get a bit of a fucking... Starting to get a bit of a roll happening, I realized like, oh, if you make really smart decisions and you're patient, you can do things without going into debt. In fact, you can do things where you pay cash and still have money left over. I experienced that with a caravan. I experienced that with the Ranger. And then on top of that, I realized that I can have these uh, savings ability, I guess you can call it. I have this savings ability where I just go, instead of paying everything else and then saving what's left over, I pay myself first. So if I get paid $2,000 for the week or whatever it was when I was truck driving, I'm going to save $1,600 of that and then figure out how to live on $400. Instead of going like, oh, my rent is $350, my shopping is $100, my this, 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 Dude, I'm a fucking problem solver. Give me the problem and I'll figure it out. And when the problem is how do you live with less money than you need to stay alive, regardless of where that other money's going, whether it's going to a mortgage, whether it's going to savings, whether you're paying off something to your fucking mother, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. How do I live with only this amount of money if I need a little bit more to live? And you know what the answer is? You'll figure it out. If you're taking it seriously enough, you'll figure it out. Now, what did I achieve? I achieved a $20,000 saving. I had my car and my caravan and every single thing you need to make it work. A couple of push bikes, a generator, the angle, bit of a renovation inside the caravan, the new tires, bit of a lift, a roof rack for the, for, the, um, for the ute, the slide in the back so that you can have the angle in and out, you know, the bits and pieces that you do under the bonnet, the headlights, had it all sorted, right? And I remember the timeline is very easy, okay? I was booked to finish working on, I actually had $20,000 saved and I had probably about $5,000 in cash. And I was booked to finish work on uh, like February 14th or something, 2020. And dad and I were going on a trip to, dad and I were going on a trip to, um, what do you call it? Victoria and back on the Harleys. And then when I came back, we were going to go start living in the caravan. And when we got to Victoria, that's when COVID started. And I remember when we first started heading back to WA, everyone was like, everywhere you go, steal toilet paper because when you get home, there's going to be no toilet paper. And this is when it all started. And we got home and we're living in the caravan at dad's house. And, you know, we're looking for something. And I remember because the plan was to, to go, to be free. And now all of a sudden we have this COVID thing where we can't even leave our fucking postcode. And it was terrible, you know? I remember thinking like, damn, I put all this effort into freedom and the idea was gonna live on the road. It's gonna get a dog, you know? It's gonna be a nomad. And I remember dad saying to me, like, it's not that easy, dude. Like, you're gonna run out of money. You have to think about this. $20,000 is not a lot of money. I know it seems like a lot of money, but twenty thousand, you're gonna motor through that super quick. And Riz had her savings as well. But you're going to go through that so fucking quick. I remember being like, Dad, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I have to do this because if I keep doing what I'm doing, I will fucking shoot myself. 
I cannot end up an old truck driver because that is not a valuable life in my eyes. And it's a hard conversation to have with your old man when he's telling you like, dude, really think about what you're doing. It's like, I, I appreciate that you love me and I appreciate you want the best for me, but you have to appreciate that even if this is going to my demise, I have to do it because if I don't do this, I'll hate myself for it. I've just gone past my mid-20s. By this point, I'm 26 or something. Well, let's figure it out. It's 2020. Oh, fuck, man. I shouldn't have put myself in this position. I'm 30 this year. So I'm 27 when this conversation happened. And I remember doing the maths and like realizing, you know, if we stay in caravan parks, if we pay for our fuel, working out on fuck all per day for food, we're going to run out of money fairly quickly. And now we can't even, we can't even leave the postcode. What's the point? I came across this ad on Gumtree and this lady had this, uh, what would you call it, like groundskeeper position for someone who was willing to tend over five acres of land that had this, that and the other on it, had a house that needed renovating. She wasn't going to live there for six months. Um, and it was in Mandra, which meant that we could actually get there without crossing over um, the halfway mark that had a police checkpoint to make sure you had your documentation to, hey, by the way, hey, hey, is that not fucking living in a, in a communist country when you have to like show your documentation to get to the next city? <laughs> okay. So we go up, we meet her, shake hands, it's all good. And uh, yeah, we end up, oh dude, I forgot to mention, I bought a boat as well. I bought myself a little plastic boat because my friend at the time had one of these spin drift boats. I was like, these are awesome. They're a one man operation. They're so small. You don't even need a skipper's ticket to operate it. They're, they're too small. You don't need to register it. And the outboard on the back is so small. You don't need a skipper's ticket to operate it. It's a fucking cheat code for boating, right? So a week later, we're living, we're living up in Mandra in our caravan. Like it's happening. I'm free. I'm free. I don't pay for rent. I don't pay for electricity. I don't pay for water. I've got money in my account. I don't have an income stream. But the point is, I wake up in this caravan next to the woman that I love and I'm free. And even if I don't get it for the rest of my life, even if it only lasts, even if it only lasts two months or three months, I fucking got it. I got it in my 20s. You know, most people don't try and make that happen early because they think it's going to happen late. And they end up with fucking pancreatic cancer and die right? At least I got that in my 20s. We move forward and I get to a point where I think I spent like 10 grand of my money and we're having fun, you know, dude, like we got Louie, we, we got Louie, we were getting coffee every day, we were going on drives, we go on adventures, we do whatever you could do in COVID times, you know, we fell further in love with each other, we made the most of the beautiful weather and the beautiful environment. I remember thinking like, fuck man, if this keeps going, I'm gonna to have to drive trucks soon. And you know, there's a discussion of whether we make Mandra our new home, whether we try and get to Perth, whether we try and get the fuck out of WA, whether we go back to Bunbury, what's it look like? I remember thinking like, nah, nah, it's gotta, no, no, I don't want it like, I just got out of the system, I don't wanna get back into it, you know? Like I'm really passionate about that. So I Googled how to make money online. And then I end up on YouTube. Then I watch some YouTube videos because I've got all the time in the world. This is the thing. You don't realize because you haven't been free yet, right? Let's pretend that's the case. Let's pretend I'm right and you haven't been free yet. You don't realize that you just wake up and you, ah, oh, you said your prayers, you know, you've done your thing, you had some coffee, maybe had some morning sex. <sighs> How to make money online. And you're watching stuff on YouTube and you watch it for three hours because you've got nowhere to be and nothing to do. And if you figure this out, shit, you might not even have to go back to work. And I learned about drop shipping. 
Now I'm going to cut out about an hour of explanation about what happened between here and there. Basically what I did was I figured out that you can buy things from China, you can make a website, you can promote that website using free social media and also paid marketing within that social media if you wanted to, and you can make a massive markup from products that you've imported from China, have them, have them and hold them and sell them as you go. Now, this isn't drop shipping. Drop shipping is where you don't even hold the stock, that people buy it directly from you and all you do is send that order to China and they send it to the end customer so you don't actually see the product at all. Uh, once you get that system moving though, you do need to warehouse things, hold them yourself and send them out. And I thought to myself, well, if I can send them from Australia to the customer, if I can also have my hands on them in the middle of the middle of the process because I have this spare time at the moment, it's gonna give me an overall better result because it means that I can control more of the process and also like probably more naivety than it is strategically doing these things. You know, I just felt better about it. So I buy a hundred of these fish finders and I think I sell, you know, 10 of them or 20 of them, but I bought them for fuck all and was like, when I say fuck all, like I bought them, I, let's say $30 or $20 or something and I was selling them for 250 you know, that, and like they are a good bit of gear. Sure, they're overpriced, but you're also paying for the fact that someone in Australia is middlemaning them, you know? And if you don't like that fact, that's how business works, sweetie. Fucking grow up, okay? So with that, I got all these skills. I learned how to use Photoshop. I learned how to build websites. I learned how to build websites that are based around commerce, which means that they manage your payments. They manage your, um, they manage like ways to effectively communicate with the customer. They have simple uh, web flows so that, you know, you could basically automate processes to make buying for people for the customers easier. And I was like, oh, okay. So now I know how to do this, this, and this. How does this apply? How can I actually monetize this in more ways than one? And then I had businesses approach me. And this is just through talking with people, going and having meetings and coffees and introducing yourself and putting your best foot forward. You know, I talked to people, oh, hey, can you make a website for us? 100% I can. Oh, can you make this product for us? Yeah, sure. Oh, can you do that? Yeah, fucking oath. And all of a sudden, I was making money from these skills that I taught myself off YouTube. And it was only like $400 for a website and, you know, like contracting $150 to come up with a design that I didn't even make. I got someone else to make and then I just forwarded. I was the middleman of the design, but they were paying for my ability and my time to track down the right person, to have that conversation, to speak broken English with them for fucking three days backwards and forwards and then get the thing in return. And that got it, got it ticking over. And I get this call one day from Brody Cassidy. I'm not going to go into who Brody Cassidy is, but let's just say he's a, he's a, somewhat influential figure in my life as it turns out, you know? And he's been pressuring me once every fucking three or six months for the past four years. What are you doing with Black Ink? What are you doing with Black Ink? I want to put money in just to get this thing off the ground. I want to see this thing move. I want to be a part of it. I just want you to want to see you successful. Rah, 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 rah. And he called me one day and he's like, bro, what the fuck are you doing with Black Ink? And I was like, man, you got to... You know... Uh, actually... You might have given me an idea here, man. He's like, what are you thinking? I'm like, I just realized I know how to like make websites and create graphics and how to monetize things and how to properly fucking... Dude, I know how to run Black Ink better than it's ever run before. Like, dude, I can make a full Black Ink web... Bro, I've got to fucking go. And I did that. I made a website. I got straight back on Instagram and I started promoting the fuck out of it because I've learned how to promote products. I've learned how to promote a brand. I've learned how to build awareness and how to build character around a brand. That's exactly what I did. I look back at those 
posts and what I was making and the website as it was in its initial stages. And it's fucking atrocious. But the point is, that's where this started. I realized that I had these bloody fish finders sitting around, which, you know, for the sake of the conversation, yeah, very good. But what these fish finders had taught me were the steps that I needed to implement into Black Ink to make it something. And all of a sudden, holding onto that Facebook page, holding onto that Instagram page, holding onto the name in general, and also keeping all of the kind of dead stock that I had, which is a few T's here and there. Some of them were blank. Some, well, actually, no, I gave away all of my blank T's to another friend who was starting a clothing business. Remember that, that's gonna come back. So then I got to this like crazy point where like I, I said to Riz, I'm like, I'm gonna fully get back into black ink. And at this point, don't forget, like Riz, Riz didn't even know me when I was in my like heyday of black ink, where I used to be able to just walk into Fitzy's like I was fucking God. And 80% of the people in there knew me and would come up and buy me drinks and this and that because of black. I'm not saying because of black ink. Dude, I was a fucking celebrity. You know what I mean? Hey, born for it, rock star. That's why I got the long hair and big, anyway. So. I made the decision to give 50% of my attention to the fishing business, to Hear Fishy, which is what it was called, the fish finders, and I wanted to give 50% to Black Ink. And, uh, and, and that's quickly like, the problem with, the, the, with Hear Fishy was I didn't fucking care about it. I didn't care about fish finders. I didn't care about fishing. I wasn't an avid fisherman. I didn't have, like it was hard for me to go and get these lifestyle pictures because A, the product wasn't for full-time fishermen. The product was actually for people who occasionally fish and they fish off their kayak or small plastic boat that don't have a 12 volt battery present. Therefore, they need a battery operated fish finder that ran off AAA batteries, which meant they could just chuck it over the side, get their reading, wrap it back up, put it in their bag and off you go. Now, if you don't know, a normal fish finder is actually hardwired into a 12 volt battery, the same sort of battery that you have in your car or motorbike or boat, because normally that battery is also used to start the boat, to power lights, to power your radio and all the rest. But if you're on a kayak, you don't have these, you don't have these needs for power, so therefore you don't have a battery on board, therefore you can't run a fish finder. So while the fish finder was a great utility for my small plastic boat that I would load on and off the roof every time I wanted to go fishing or do whatever, I enjoyed recreationally taking the boat out, taking the boat out now and then, and I enjoy casting a line and having fun. I don't like the smell of fucking fish bait, dude. I'm not about that. I don't like getting the, my nose and my ears burnt. Like, honestly, I'm going out first thing in the morning to go for a cruise, smell the two-stroke coming out of my outboard, and just take in the fresh air and put the boat back in my car, hoping to not look like I have no idea what I'm doing. That's what I really, like, really enjoy doing. And thus, collecting the content for this business was really hard, but collecting content for Black Ink was exciting. It was exciting. It wasn't even that I was gonna sell t-shirts, it's that I was back in the game. It's the, oh, yeah, like, how do I make this graphic on this shirt look the absolute best? How do I angle this so that I can promote this in the best light? And that, that very quickly had me thinking, how do I make this my full-time thing? And the question, once you ask yourself a question like that, like, how do I do this forever? How do I do this forever? The only thing that's akin to that is when you're in your honeymoon phase of like, you know, when you first meet someone and you're fucking and you're having fun and you can't think about anything else and you're taking off time uh, off work just to spend more time with them and you want to spend all your money on them and you just want to go down on them for hours, that sort of thing. Like it, it's like akin to that, right? It's akin to that. It's like this activity, this potential source of income is so fucking enthralling to me that I want to figure out how to do it forever. 
And once you made that decision, dude, shit's easy because your mission just became that. Everything that you do in life can reflect that decision. Everything that you do in life can reflect that decision. And I didn't know it at the time, but my brain had already made up its mind that that's what I wanted to do. My character, me, Jake, just had to catch up to my brain. And that's what happened. Very quickly and with no notice, I pretty much just said, like, here, fishy is very cool, but I don't care about it. It's making me just enough money to justify continue doing it. But realistically, play this out. Best case scenario, end up with a fucking multi-million dollar fishing business. Like, who cares? Like, I don't like fishing. In fact, I feel terrible when I pull a fish out of its fucking atmosphere with a hook jagged in the side of its mouth and it's looking at me gasping for air the same way I would if I was underwater and it had me. I fucking hate it, dude. I hate it. Like, just imagine being the fish, you know? Hey, might be a bitch. Also, might be the nicest guy ever, okay? So... The black ink train had started and I was very quickly running out of money and I was doing things the most expensive way you can possibly imagine. What I was doing was I was getting these t-shirts made by the printbar.com.au which is a business that, or maybe a company that runs out of uh, Queensland. And basically you can go on there and say, here's my, here's my graphic and you go on their digital designer, you design it all up in their, uh, in their like mock-up guide and they hold a stock of all your shirts, jumpers, every color, every size. So they can basically print that that day and have it posted out. You can pay for Express and you can sell it. So what I would do is I would design something. Say I designed this logo. I would then go on Photoshop. I'd make a mock-up of what it looks like. I would then put that on my website that I made. I'd say, hey, this is for sale. And then you, the customer, would go, oh, that looks very cool. I'll buy that. That order comes through to me. I then send that order to the print bar. The print bar makes it. They send it to me and then I send it to you. Okay? Now imagine this. You paid $60 for that shirt and you paid $8 for the postage. Now, let's look at how that money is spent. I then take that $60 and I spend 45 of it ordering the bullshit through these guys in the print bar. Okay? The $8 for shipping was never my money because it cost you $8 for the shipping. It cost me $8 for the shipping. So you don't even count that. So we've got that 60 bucks. We've now spent 45 on the shirt. We're down to 15, okay? That 15, I then have to wrap it. I want to give you some sort of additional, like I want to give you a thank you note. The pen costs money. The notes cost money, right? I'm also doing all of this out of either a caravan or I'm like using the shed where I was living. So at the same time, you're like, what the point that I'm making is at the very best, you're making $10 a shirt. And with 700 followers, you're selling 10 shirts, right? So you've got to come up with these designs that are sellable. You've got to sell them without having lifestyle or you know promotional pictures. You're selling an offer mock-up. And then once you're doing it, it's so time and energy consuming that by the time it's all said and done, it's not worth it. But I knew that if I just focused on making a thousand garments and selling a thousand garments, even if I only made a dollar off each of those and figure out how to live, because I already figured out how to live off not enough money before when I was saving to get into this position. So I'm already comfortable with discomfort. I already know that if the money runs out and I've got this mission, it's not a case of like, oh, how do we make it work? It's like, okay, how long can we be uncomfortable for? That's all it is. So I did this. I did it with shirt one, I did it with shirt two, I did it with shirt three. And I remember I got to a point and I, it was crazy. Like I came in and like, I, I, I had obviously been, uh, what would you call it? Like communicating my, uh, my concern that I was getting close to running out of money. 
and to be honest with you, like I was spending it like I was a businessman, you know, like I spent money so fr- like so um, easily back then where now like I really have to be sure before I even spend money on a coffee, like I really have to understand the value that I'm getting. I said to Riz, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm about to, the, 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 the plane is about to crash, you know, the plane was flying really well and then it started to lose altitude, altitude, altitude. And for the last like month, the belly's almost been scraping along the ground and it's about to crash. If there's ever a time I need you to support me, it's right now. And she didn't hesitate. She said, fuck yeah, I'm on board. I'm in, I'm all in, let's go. And she was, she paid for all of the shopping. She paid for all of the coffees. She paid for all of the living. Now, admittedly, I didn't let myself have anything. You know, I felt guilty every time I said yes and seldom did I say yes to anything that was unessential, right? I mean, coffees every day, that is essential in a way, but you understand what I'm saying. So much so that Riz actually ended up working back in Bunbury while we're living in Mandra, just part-time, a few days a week so that we had some income and that money was still, keeping us afloat and letting me do the thing, you know, and we got to a certain point, uh, you know, consequently because of the, I wouldn't say growth of the business, but the growth of the responsibilities around living at the house that I was living at, some circumstances changed as well, not the house, the property, um, where we were living, some of the circumstances changed there. And obviously the business was starting to get to a point where I was like, oh, okay, this is, it wasn't an everyday job, but there was things that I could be doing for it every day. And in that phase of the business, I mean, realistically, I could have worked harder, but the point was I, I was, I was sensibly warming up to what it would become. We ended up moving back to Bunbury and this was great because it meant that I now had a more controlled area where I could manage my orders, where I could do proper releases. I had access to friends who could A, take photos and B, in the photos with me and take wear the shirts and help me pr- promote them. And also little things like being able to work with Maddie Blake and doing things at uh, Lost Bills. And you know, just there was, there was more opportunity to make more money not so that I could live, but so that I could keep black ink afloat until it got to a place where it had legs and it could speak for itself. So that move into that move back to Bunbury was kind of like, it was a pinnacle moment in itself because A, it was going back to live at home in my caravan to keep this business dream alive, you know? And the whole time, like, I know my dad is shaking his head and looking at the ground every time I walk away. He's like, you're selling fish finders online. You're fucking trying to start a clothing brand. You're doing black ink again. Didn't that already not work? And as much as he never did this, and I'm not saying this in a negative light, like I appreciate he's probably thinking, what the fuck, dude? Just go back to driving trucks where you can make you two and a half grand a week and everyone's happy and your future is secure. And you, and you know, there's not the looming threat of me having to loan you money, you know? So, Black Ink continued to grow. I continued to come up with new things. I continued to innovate and do better things, deliver a better product, create more meaningful relationships with my customers, and to just keep growing, to keep trying new things and to keep collecting data and to take my L's, take my W's. I even started creating events and just having fun, having fun, you know? And then there came a time where I was making, uh, well, how it actually happened was I, I obviously through this process, I learned how to market, I learned how to create things, I learned how to create content. And I actually had um, a local business hit me up and say, hey, like, you're really good at marketing. How do we do that for our business? And I said, oh, well, this is what I do. 
you know, like I engage like this, I create content based around emotional response, I try and create videos more than still images, I try and make it contextual to what I'm doing, I try and be super uh, forward thinking in my planning and my execution. But basically, like it's it's real easy, you just got to have someone doing it all the time. And they're like, yeah, very cool. How, do, how much does it cost us for you to do it all the time? Oh, fuck. I don't know. This much? And they're like, sweet. Yeah, cool. Go for it. I was like, really? They're like, yeah. I gave him, it's not that I gave him an amount that wasn't justifiable. I gave him what it was worth, but because I had never done that job before, I didn't realize that I was like, I was someone who could charge that amount of money and get it, you know? So I did the job and that allowed me to have income for the first time in, you know, however long. That was my first real income. And as much as it was a job for someone, it wasn't a job. It was me being an independent contractor providing a service for a business, right? So that allowed me to better appropriate my own confidence because I was like, oh, cool. I'm doing something that obviously at this point, you know, I was, you know, when I recorded the first podcast, by the way, just for a little bit of, we can now start to align where this all ties in. That podcast was a year and four months ago. When that podcast released, I had just clicked over a thousand followers. When that podcast released, I had... 10 subscribers, okay? Right now, I have 2,930 something subscribers, so I'm just off 3,000, sorry, um, followers on Instagram, and I've got like 123 subscribers on YouTube. Now, YouTube's a different game. I don't really push it. I just put my podcast on there and forget about it. Point being, we've got over 100 more subscribers on on YouTube, and we've got like almost 2,000 more followers on Instagram, Okay. Uh, Facebook, I don't even track the metrics. But the point being is, from where I was then living at dad's house, recording this podcast, to now, the amount of engagement and interaction that I have is like night and day. Because this is all organic growth, this is all organic interaction and engagement, which means that this is the most valuable online engagement you can get. And it's only trended upwards the whole time I've been operating. Now, when I, so obviously I had that confidence that I was building something that it was obvious that you couldn't really go on Instagram. You still can't go on Instagram without coming across me on your search page or your friends sharing me or your friends wearing my stuff in their story or their post and tagging me. Like I'm, I really do push having a million small meaningful pieces of content rather than one massive one that people are like, okay, we get it, you know? So with having this business reach out and saying like, hey man, do you wanna do it for us? Yes, I'll do it for you guys. I did, and I made money. And that meant that there was a fucking possibility of moving out of my caravan because as much as it seems like a great idea, you have only got a certain amount of time before you A, need a bigger caravan or B, never live in a caravan ever again, okay? And look, I'm not adverse to living in a caravan again, but as long as Black Ink keeps trending the way it does, why would I, okay? Why would I? Hey, love it, but why would I? So. I end up getting this money and I think it really came to a fucking, you know, we had a real situation where I was very sick and I was getting more sick because I, I didn't realize this at the time, but like I got like food poisoning or something and you know, like just liquid, just, just liquid everything. So then I would drink the water that would be, you know, rainwater we'd put in our tank that sits under the, the caravan and then it would pump out of the thing and then fill up my bottle and drink. 
And as it turns out, even putting filtered rainwater in that tank, because that tank is 30 years old, never been washed properly, well, that was probably the thing that was keeping me sick. And I remember just like, there is no, there is no recovery when you're shitting and spewing. And every time you have to shit or spew, you have to leave the caravan. And for me, I had to walk an acre uphill to get to the closest toilet. So I could spew just around the corner. But if you're going to have a bloody, you need to walk up the hill. Terrible. So I was like, we need to fucking move into a house. And just so happens, coincidentally, that uh, my dad had been talking to a bloke that he used to be on a team with when he drove trucks for Giarchi's back in the day. And he was actually at his house just doing the last renovations before he was going to put on the rental market. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but at the time and even still now, the rental market is up shit creek. Up shit creek. To get a rental now is absolutely impossible. We went to one viewing and I thought that someone was having a party on the same street at the time of the viewing. No, there was like like 50 couples walking through the house and they all had 15 minute increments. If you're going to put a thing in to try and get the house, you literally had to be adding value to it. So be like, oh, we'd like to rent it, but for $50 a week more, or, you know, we're willing to put up with this or whatever it might be. So it's like the people who end up with a house, are just the people who had the best bet. And being in my position with no financials from the past year and with someone who's had financials of the past three months, we're not getting in anywhere. We offer no security. The only way it could possibly work is if dad was coming to live with us on the books or something along those lines, and then maybe it might work. So a private rental, if we could come across it, was definitely, was definitely the move, you know? So dad said, well, why don't you call homeboy? I said, okay, because I knew him. I've drank piss with him before back when I was younger. When I say drank piss, I've been in the same area as him drinking alcohol, and I had a can as well, so drank piss with him once. So I called him up and said, hey, man, like, this is our situation where I was like, yeah, sweet. I'd love you to live in my house. Why don't you come around now? I'm, I'm here now painting the wall. And he was, he was painting. He was, because this, or everything that you see is white used to be covered in graffiti because this was like his bar area. This was originally built as a pre-party room for GTM like three, four, five years ago, whenever it was. And this was all covered in graffiti. This was a real like hang spot because it's the back of the house. So he was actually just painting the last of the white on the wall over here. And we've walked in. I'm like, wow, this is, totally different from what i remember he's like yeah man we just renovated everything finished the kitchen and the bathroom everything's been freshly painted the wall the floors have all been da 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 i was like wow that's cool so we walk through and i'm like saying to riz like what do you think and she's like i think this is this is pretty cool and i was like this is pretty cool and we moved in a week later and i mean damn uh, where, where do you even start from there what it did moving in here and like when I look at the photos when we first moved in and I was like, you know, I had a couple tables and nothing, you know, it was kind of funny, but it was one of those things to, oh, buddy, fly. He'll come close to us. He's not going away. Brother, I know I just said about the fish hook and the thing in the mouth. I give flies three, three chances. This dude's already used his first two earlier. Let him live another day. Fuck it, man. What would Jesus do, you know? So from there, I ended up buying the screen printer, which was, you know, like I stumbled into it. What happened was I, I ended up selling the caravan, obviously. Now, this is the kicker, right? I bought it for $3,000. I probably spent about ten on it and then sold it for 12500 $12,500. Oh, sorry, I had to give you the pause so that you could let that sink in that I'm a fucking businessman, you understand? Now, they got every single dollar of $12,500 $12 because 
obviously like I put an angle upright fridge in it. I replaced the bed. It had like a fucking, it had a $1,200 bed in there for fuck's sake. You know, like I'd redone the flooring. The awning had all been serviced and replaced parts that were all old and shitty. It had truck tires and wheels on it. I had just done the wheel bearings. It had a completely replaced front end on it. I'd changed the back end so you didn't have all the weight at the back where they put the spare tires, which is super heavy, which makes it drive. Anyway, point being was they got all of that plus the COVID tax, $12,500. They're still living in it. God bless them. So with that in mind, I had this money and I was like, right, how do I best invest this money? Because there are, you can go any direction from there. But the one thing I've got is living frugally under my belt as a skill. It's now something that I've exercised so much that I'm not at all concerned about not spending the money because I've actually become quite good at it. The only difference between that day and the day before was that I actually had $12,500. Now, I think, now that I say twelve and a half, was it? 12 and a half. Seems like a lot of money, doesn't it? But yeah, I, I had spent a certain amount of it on something. And then I had, it might might have been $6,000 or six and a half thousand. I remember whatever it was, it was like double what I paid for it. And I was just thinking when I said 12 and a half, wait, did I actually buy it for six? Whatever it was, it was double what I paid for it. So let, I think it was, I ended up selling it. For, no, okay, I sold it for six grand. I bought it for three. And I sold it for six grand and I charged them six and a half to deliver it to Albany. That's what it was. Okay, so scrap everything. As I said, it's all for entertainment value. None of this actually happened anyway. Who fucking cares? Ugh, you know? So I had six and a half thousand dollars. I spent two grand of it buying myself a screen printer off Mason Signs. Funny story, I actually used to skate with their boys, Dale and Jeremy Mason. I actually went to world championships in 2010 in Hatting City in China for speed skating with Jeremy on the team, on the exact same team. So we go, we go a little bit back. Yeah, they sold me the screen printer and I was like, this is amazing. Because now instead of paying some other outside company where I have to outsource the the making of the t-shirt and the shipping and all the bullshit, I can now have these shirts made at home. This is brilliant, right? This is absolutely brilliant. So I then go, cool, let's fucking, let's screen print our own shirt. So I screen print my own shirts, put that up on Instagram. What do you know? Other businesses go, hey, can you screen print our shirts? Absolutely, I can. So now I've got a business where I am creating marketing material and also posting this content on people's pages for them, for their business, because I'm replicating what I do for my business, for their business and getting paid for it. I'm also creating merch bundles and creating apparel for other people's businesses, whether they're uniforms, stuff they're gonna sell, X, Y, Z. And I'm also running Black Ink, okay? So now what happened was Black Ink actually turned into the passion project that ideally you want it to be. And at the same time, I'm creating these sources of income for my business, which meant that I could live. You know, I can pay for my rent. I can pay for my shopping. I can pay for my new shoes if I want. Still don't have them. But the main thing was that Black Ink was now operational and moving. And even if it wasn't a brand, it was a marketing agency. It was a screen printing warehouse, whatever you want to call it. It meant that I could essentially make money with the tools that I have, okay? Now, using all of these assets and and moving forward, I would then collect data and knowledge and realize exactly where the money is made, where it's not made, where I'm spending money on things that I don't need, or where I'm wasting time and energy that I could monetize elsewhere or, you know, better optimize that time to make more money elsewhere. And then moving forward, made small adjustments here and there to what I could to basically make more money. Because I mean, I'm not in business to live all right. I'm in business to take over the fucking world, okay? And like, let me talk about that for just a second because that's really important, okay? A lot of people 
Like business is very hard. And a lot of people will get into it. And it's hard in ways that you can't even imagine. It's, it's hard in ways that your heart is going to be broken in, in ways that you don't understand your heart can be broken. You're going to experience things and have to make decisions that you never thought were part of being in business. But that's what business is. That's why when you know, they say the first 12 months, 90% of businesses uh, fail. And then in the following 12 months, like 95% of the businesses who are left over also fail, which means that you have like a 0.025% of succeeding after two years in business. And most of the time succeeding means just reaching zero, just not getting further in debt. It just means that you're not in a position where you have no other options but to close the doors and beg for forgiveness, okay? So by this point, I'm, you know, I'm what, a, uh, let's say a year in, a year and a bit in, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm enough in that I realize like, okay, I'm now, I've gone from a caravan to a house and I've gone from getting 10, $15 a shirt to being able to make the shirt for about $15 and keep the rest of it. So I'm like, okay, something's starting to happen here. I'm also being approached by other businesses to replicate what I do in my business for them. So obviously something here is working. Now, if we look at everything that I've got, the reality is 10% of it is meaningful and 10% of it is worth honing in on and figuring out exactly what that is and then doing that brilliantly. But it's surrounded by 90% of bullshit, okay? My job moving forward is to figure out what's bullshit and what's worth talking about. Now, just before I get away from this, uh, this thing about wanting to take over the world, the reason that I say that is that most people get out of those two years and their business is working. They're not fucking falling down a sinkhole, disappearing into more and more debt, wondering like, how the fuck are we going to fix this problem? I realized that most people get to that point and they're still surviving after two years and they go, oh God, we're making $100,000 a year for ourselves. Who fucking cares about growing anymore? I don't want any more issues. I just want to stay here. We've got our own business. We don't have a boss. We don't answer to anyone. We get to work with each other, you know, you and your significant other. You get to see each other all the time. You get to go on holidays every now and then. It's all good. You still got a fucking job though. You're still doing the shit. You're still, you know, repeating the same thing over and over and over. So then it goes, okay, cool. For me, well, let's get there. Let's double it. And then once we've doubled it, we'll double it again. And then once we've doubled that, we'll double it again, right? Because sure, I'm still rocking up to a job every day, but at least I'm getting different results. And at least those results are getting bigger and better every time. And that is the shit that gets my dick hard. That's what I want to show up to work for, right? So now we're living a fulfilling life. We've got purpose. And even if I don't take over the world, even if I only take over this fucking town, that's still better than driving a truck for 12 hours. That's still better than trying to impress people that don't fucking care about you, you understand? So I am trying to take over the world. So we got a screen printer and we got people saying like, oh, do this for us. You're so cool, Jake. Jerk me off. So I do. I jerk some people off, right? In a business sense, not a physical sense. You fucking sicko. And I, uh, I realized that screen printing is actually fucking really time consuming. And if you're going to be good at it, you need to only do screen printing. If you're only going to do screen printing, that's what your whole business needs to be about. And in fact, if you're only going to do screen printing, you actually can't even have a brand because unless you're going to commit all of the hours of the day to developing your brand and screen printing, then you have time for nothing else. And at this point, I'm making content for Homeboy. I'm doing fucking merch packages for these people and those people and these people. And I realized like, okay, the part here that is, that is costing me the most amount of time is this. And the part that's making me the most amount of money is this. Okay. And what this over here making the most amount of money was, was marketing for other people. So what do you do? You look after that. 
You look after that which looks after you. And then what happens? I don't have time to screen print. I don't have time to grow my brand, but I've got this income. Okay, we'll change a few words in that sentence. You may as well work at McDonald's because if you're not doing the shit that you plan to do, but you're doing this because this is what makes you money, well, that's exactly the thing that I told you before that I didn't want. I don't want to defend the thing just because it brings me the money to buy the shit that I don't need. I want to defend the thing that makes me happy, right? Now, I organically had a situation with, and like, I, I don't even want to call it a situation. We just ended up going separate ways, me and this business, because they had a different idea of um, the marketing and the strategy is what I was implementing. I wasn't willing to change my strategy because it works so effectively for Black Ink. I don't want to get good at your shit and then not be good at my shit when my shit is the reason that I'm at the party. So we had a discussion. We went our separate ways amicably. It was good. Um, you know, obviously learn to hate working for them, was very grateful for the opportunity to work for them. If you know anything to do with Black Ink, you probably know who this is. Um, but yeah, obviously a fucking great experience. It was cool to work with them. I'm still speak with them now. Everything's all great, but we did end up going separate ways. And I remember thinking then like, okay, I still can't do this alone. I still don't have enough security in what Black Ink is possible of to create a realm where it's going to make enough money weekly for me to pay my rent, pay for this, pay for that. Now, I finally got myself in a position where I could contribute half of the shopping. I could, you know, every now and then I can pay for our coffees instead of Riz buying all of them. I can pay for my own coffee when I go out. I can put fuel in my car. I don't have to not go somewhere because I don't have fuel and I can't afford to go get fuel, you know? So I really didn't want to move backwards from there. And at that point as well, I also realized that screen printing, as I said, was probably the least time efficient and least uh, economically efficient vehicle for black ink. They did create a result, but it didn't create the best result. And I started fucking with these heat transfers. Now, oh, you can't see in the camera, but just over in Yara is my uh, heat press. And I actually, I had, uh, I had, I had um, a meeting with a mentor of mine and he said, man, the future is heat press. Everything is heat press. And I remember, nah, you can feel it on your back. And like, I don't like the feeling of it. It's fucking, nah, nah, I don't like it. And he goes, no, you're thinking of five years ago. It's changed now. I'm like, nah, I don't like it. I hit up my friend and I said, hey, have you heard about this heat pressing? He's the one who I gave all the shirts to. Remember back in the story? I gave all the shirts to him and he's like, yeah, dude, that's all I use is heat press. It's the fucking future. You can just like get your vinyl, cut it out, weed it out, put it on your thing, heat press it, peel it off, it's done. I'm like, yeah, but can't you feel it? He goes, no, dude, it's fucking, it's the future. I was like, okay, cool. Can I borrow your heat press? And he goes, dude, do you remember when you gave me all those shirts for free? I said, yeah. He goes, 100% you can borrow my heat press. I don't need it for another like six, seven weeks or whatever. Come grab it. I'll show you how to use it. Take it, do whatever you want. Get it back to me when you're ready. I said, yeah, fucking oath. So I go there and pick up the uh, heat press. He shows me how to use it. And I bring it home. And now I've got a heat press and a screen printer. And even then, I didn't really quite understand the importance of this heat press. You know, I would get these transfers and they wouldn't quite work. And sometimes I do this, sometimes I do that. And I'd be calling up the people who provided the transfers and and say, like, these aren't working. They say, yeah, because you're not using one of our machines. And I'm like, yeah, of course I'm not yet. Oh, now I've got to spend another three grand with you. Yeah, I'm not a dickhead. Just tell me how to make it work and I'll make it work with this machine. They said, look, Jake, it's because you don't have one of our machines. Like, Sure, we can make it work with that machine, but you're going to have to spend $500 on heat pads and this and that to like figure out what's going wrong before we can actually help you, you know? I was like, well, how much is one of your machines? Our machine is fucking two and a half grand, whatever it is. Okay. 
Okay, two and a half grand. Okay. Okay, and my mate wants his machine back eventually, so. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Very interesting. Okay, cool. So I, I make some I make some phone calls, have some conversations. Long story short, we get one of these heat presses, right? It's beautiful, brand new heat press. It's got the automatic thing, so it fucking releases by itself. The magnet pull down to help you get it down. It's got all beautiful temperature control settings. It's got it's it's amazing. It's Stalls Hotronics STX. It's called forty a forty centimeter by forty centimeter platen, and it's just magical. It is magical. It is a money printing machine speaking uh, financially. And basically what happens when I, when I got this machine is I realized that like I can now do full color, full size prints, anything that I can do with the screen printer, I can do it with this in 10 seconds. And I've got a sister business that prints out all of the transfers you want. So get this, I email them on Monday my transfer, my design. And they go, cool, how many do you want? I say 20. They go, what are they going on? Black cotton tees, sweet. They send me out 20 on Wednesday after they've been printed. I get them on Friday. I then get your blank black tea and I get my transfer and I put it on there and I put it in my heat press. I close it down like a, like a sandwich, like a toasty machine. It pops up after 10 seconds. I rip off the back and that garment is ready to post and wear my friend that is yours, okay? And you're probably thinking like, okay, cool. What's the difference? Well, the difference was I spent an hour setting up my screen printer. I then did all the bullshit. I actually did the screen printing. And like, if it's more than one color, I didn't have the ability to do that. So it's a single color screen print. I then hope that I fucking lined it all up properly. I then hope that it sets properly and I put enough heat on it and done all the bullshit. And then I hope that that screen, that, that print is going to last because I have no fucking evidence of like enough screen prints that I've done before to know that it's going to work. And there's so many different ways you can screen print and so many different things to change and stop and start and this and that that realistically I was, I was collecting data. I wasn't doing things with confidence. So I end up realizing that this heat press does everything perfectly every time. And I go, okay, cool. Okay, cool. We've now had that information. Now what happened when I departed that marketing job was I immediately got picked up by another business that said, hey, you were doing that for that business, right? And I was like, yeah. And they go, can you do that for our business? I said, yeah, absolutely. I've already got the whole package set up. Here's how much it costs. Here's how I execute the job, X, Y, Z. And they're like, sweet, have the money, do the job. So I'm now in a position where I've got a little bit more information about how to better execute the things that work for Black Ink. I know that I can sell t-shirts and hoodies and hats and bullshit. I now have means to create it, not super cheap, but a lot cheaper than what I was before in a more time efficient way. So I start having these thoughts like, okay, how much do we actually use a screen printer for? How much money can I sell it and reclaim on it? What can we do with the heat press? How can we make the, the, the process more efficient? How can we get a better result? How can we simplify this whole system? How can we bring things in house? Long story short, I sell the screen printer. I then get on top of all this, when I got that heat, heat press, I also got a Roland SP300V which is a 30 inch vinyl cutter and printer, okay? It's a machine, it's behind the fucking camera, otherwise I'd show you. It's a machine that is, I mean, bigger than my arms. It's probably just a bit longer than what my arms can reach out, which is about how long my dick is as well. But on top of that, it stands on a massive like uh, metal frame because it's pretty heavy. And basically what it does is it feeds uh, vinyl. I'm not sure if you can see in the top corner up here, but they're small rolls of vinyl, but like it, it feeds vinyl up to 30 inches wide into this thing and it prints on that vinyl and then cuts it 
which essentially means it prints stickers. So like this sticker here was printed on my vinyl cutter and printer. And basically like it prints that on the vinyl, it then cuts around the shape of that. And then you just peel away the white around that and you're left with a sticker on a tab that you just peel off, plop, plop on there and off you go. <coughs> I didn't realize this at the time, but they sell heat transferable vinyl, which means that besides the printing part, the cutting part, you can feed the vinyl in there. It cuts out the shape that you want. You weed away all the negative vinyl and then you can apply that to a shirt using your heat press. So if you, like I buy a roll of white, that means that I can then cut out any shape I want in that white and apply it to a shirt and it lasts forever. And then I was like, hang on, do you have a printable version of this? Is there one that I can print on and it cuts out? And they go, oh, I don't know, do you use uh, EcoSoul Max prints? And I was like, I actually do use those. They go, oh, sorry, inks, sorry, in your vinyl cutter and printer. I said, I do actually. They said, yes, yeah, sweet. We just send you this other roll of vinyl. Basically, what you do is you print on that, cut it out exactly the same as the, as the white, but you can print whatever you want on it. Hang on. Hang on. Does that mean that I can design something on my computer, send it, to the vinyl cutter and printer and it prints it and then cuts it out. And then I get that and I weed the shit away that everything that I don't want transferred onto the shirt. And then I can take one of my blank shirts off the shelf and I can put it on my heat press and I can put the design on there. And I close that down for 10 seconds and it pops up and I peel away the thing and then I just have a shirt that I not only designed that day but executed that day and can sell that day. And they're like, hey Jake, no shit. And then my life changed. My life changed. Okay, because now not only do I not outsource my stuff, not only do I not spend all day printing 20 shirts, but I can design, cut and create a shirt from start to finish in under an hour. And in fact, if it's something that I've already done, I can just print out a surplus of those, right? And then you order a shirt. I see the order come through. I go get one of those surplus ones and a shirt of your size because I also hold a stock of blank black shirts and white shirts. I can fire up my heat press, go make a coffee. By the time I'm done, it's hot. Shirt, transfer, pop, bag, stickers, thank you note, post office, same day. I know, you're impressed. That's fine. All good. Okay. Now, I think I've just about covered everything. What brings us right up to this point? Uh, on Sunday night, I was relieved of my duties at this um, place where I was doing their marketing. Uh, they're taking a different direction, which is cool. But it now means that that kind of, uh, what would you call it, like that uh, support that I had, which pays for my rent, it pays for my fuel, it pays for my shopping, it pays for my coffee, is gone. Now, Black Ink does generate, the, the brand Black Ink does generate money. It's not enough money to write home about. The one thing that I do have right now is all the tools, all the knowledge, and all the assets to now deliver as many products as I possibly can. And I can actually do like 95% of the creation and execution of those products in this room, right? That's massive. Because when I recorded episode number one, a year and four months ago, I was living in a caravan at the back of my dad's house. And I was paying like 30 to $45 a shirt to have them made and sent to me so that I could send them out to someone else. It's unfortunate that I don't 
uh, have the, uh, what would you call it, the safety net of being able to work for these other businesses in town and doing their marketing for them and all the rest. But the massive positive that I take out of this is I have all the time in the world to properly execute Black Ink and now with all the knowledge and experience I need to do so. On top of this, I've also got uh, the friend that I ended up moving out of my house and moving into his house, he is going to be working for me full-time starting in about three or four weeks' time. This is going from a one-man to a two-man operation. It's gone from, you know, very, very comfortably bringing in, you know, $30,000, $40,000 in outside jobs before you even take into account the black ink side of things to the weight of the world is now on my shoulders to make any money whatsoever. Not to only to support me, but to support homeboy who's coming on board. Black Ink has not experienced an exciting time like this before. And to be very, very clear with you, to be transparent with you, if I was in this position two years ago, my butthole would be making rings right now with how fucking anxious and scared I am and what move I should make moving forward. But I've already lived without nothing. I've already been cold as fuck in a caravan with dirt between my toes. This is just pure exciting. I can't wait to show you what I've got in store, some of the cool things that are on the horizon that are only a week away, things that are six weeks away and things that are a year away that we've already got boiling. Dude, you wanna talk about a fucking cool business? This is it. I'm in the middle of it right now. I'm sorry I'm bragging right now, I'm not even sorry. If I was bragging in a caravan, you'd say, shut the fuck up, you know? But I'm not. I'm bragging at my comfortable table. Not even a desk, a table. This is where I'm at. I wouldn't be here without the help of customers, of my audience, of my fans, because there's not a better word for it, of all the motherfuckers who care about what I'm doing and who listen to me when I speak. And if you're one of those people, and I'm guessing if you're listening to this, Thank you. I also couldn't have done this without those businesses electing to use my skills and services to contract me as a business to do this work for them. And to those businesses, I say thank you. And for everyone who spent even a minute listening to any of the 99 episodes that led up to this moment, I say thank you as well. But I'm not going to stop. This is just going to be an episode that I listen to when I hit 200 or 300 or 400 or 1,000 episodes in reflection so that I can tell you where I'm at now when I record them. And it's going to be so exciting because I couldn't have imagined this conversation was going to take place when I recorded number one a year and four months ago. So thank you. I hope I bring to you the very best possible quality, the most exciting products, and the most invigorating experiences that we can possibly imagine in the future. I'm excited for what this is gonna turn into. I'm excited for everything that's already happened. So again, thank you. Be good to your mum. Cause I'm fucking out. Yo! <laughs>